want to just turn to you and, and I want you to just share some whatever the Lord gives you, but your story, your testimony, what, what you feel like the Lord has done. How did you, how did you become part of this? What was, what, were the, what was the process? And how did you stick with it? How long have you been, how long have you, have you been here? This uh, Thanksgiving would make 13 years. 13 years. Are you serious? <laughs> That's not possible. You got your dates wrong. Are you serious? I believe so. 2022, um, I came back 2009. Isn't that something? Wow. Okay, so tell us. You came first in 2007, right? That's right. So Mark Keel was a very close friend of my older brother, Tep, and uh, uh, transformation, like you just described, began to happen in Teb's life in 2007. It was February of 2007. He came to that Friday night meeting, got the Holy Ghost. So Mark Keel was not in a great scene in Denver, right? Right. He was, uh, you could say he was in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, <laughs> Unauthorized. <laughs> Uh, unauthorized pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah. Unauthorized pharmaceuticals. That's pretty good. No license, you know. And, and he came down, and God changed him. And so then his friend Teb wanted to come visit him. Teb came to the first meeting. Right, right. And yeah. He sat in that meeting. I remember it. Yeah. And and he was. I just remember a a literal pool of tears beneath his his face and coming down his hands as he just sat there and trembled slightly and wept. And we just went over and laid hands on him, just began to pray gently. And I don't know, it, it might have been two minutes. He was speaking in unknown tongues, Amen. just totally overcome. Very first time yet we ever met him. Amen. He's your older brother. He's my older brother, okay. uh, second oldest brother. And uh, just because of things that happened throughout our family, he really was, you know, uh, a central figure. Um, you know, there was yeah. a season in his teenage years where he really stepped in and supported us in a lot of ways, um, financially, you know, uh, logistically, getting us to school and back. And so we all had this um, sense of respect towards him, but we knew he was up to no good. And so, you know, he lets us know that he's living for God, and it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> but uh, the more time went on and the more he began to change, that witness became more than just words. I mean, we could not deny that um, God really was doing something in his life. And so uh, he had been here for a few months and came and visited to Denver because he had to face uh, some, uh, some uh, he had to go to court to face some charges that he had prior to coming to Texas and meeting you all, prior to getting the Holy Ghost. And um, on one of those trips, Mark Keel, Chris Grishel, they came, and I got to meet them for the first time. Mark, I didn't even know his name was Mark because, you know, you all have street names, whatever. <laughs> I won't, uh, you know, say too much. But, you know, he comes in, and I remember it was, uh, it was a cold morning. Uh, it was either February or March, and I woke up. It was probably around 7.30 in the morning. These people are in our house. Teb had put his police ticket in my closet. And so he just busts through my bedroom, you know. Hey, Dan, I need to find something. I was like, okay, great. You know, I go into the living room. My dad's talking to Mark and Chris. Chris, you know, he's got a pretty good beard. Mark, 
um, is totally unrecognizable. Um, it's a key point. He used to shave his head, so I never knew the color of his hair. <laughs> and um, he used to always have a goatee. Um, he would wear uh, a tank top to show off his tattoos. So he's got a long sleeve shirt, uh, pants that fit and they're tucked in. And, and he's got sunglasses on. They just come in from outside. There's snow everywhere. The sun was blinding. And he, he comes in and he says, remember me, Danny? And um, at first I'm thinking, who in the world is this guy? Wow. How does he know my name? <laughs> and uh, he says, it's me. It's John. You know, I think we used to, we knew his name was John Mark. Um, and so I said, John, what happened? You know, and he's like, I sell cheese now, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, cheese must be like this incredible drug. You know what I mean? It makes you straighten up and, you know. <laughs> they got some good stuff on the streets now. And <laughs> I, I didn't think for a second that um, he was on the straight and narrow. I didn't think my t- I didn't think Tab was, you know. Part of what made it easy for me to be so self-righteous was that I could compare myself sure, yeah. to, to Teb or to Mark or to whoever people I, I had in my life that I just knew were way down the road, going down the path that was going to lead to obvious problems, destruction, and what have you. So it was, it was startling. Now, before they left, they said, hey, could we just pray real quick? And uh, 7.30 in the morning, I was going to go to school, and here we are in my living room. And holding hands, they say a quick prayer. And for a second, it was like you could feel the presence Whoa. of God. And then they say, okay, we're going to go. You know, and they leave. He got his police ticket. And it was just like, what just happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, fast forward a couple months. Uh, I, I'm totally unaware of what's going on with Tep. He has an incredible story where God really just delivers him from all these charges miraculously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he comes back. Uh, again, to kind of pay his dues and to get his name cleared. And on that trip, uh, we rendezvoused in a hotel room. Now, later I found out this was the same hotel room that Mark used to sell crack out of uh, with some some of his Cobra buddies. Um, and uh, Pharmaceutical buddies. Yeah, yeah, pharmace- sorry, pharmaceutical buddies. <laughs> um, my sister was in town, and she just happened to rent that hotel room. She had to deal with some immigration stuff. So I come over, and I grab my guitar, and I got a high school buddy of mine with me. And I was really just trying to connect with my nephews. I had never seen them before. And I had these twin nephews and a, another sibling that they have, and I just wanted to kind of impress them or whatever. So I'm in the room with them. I'm showing them the guitar. We're having a good time. And then in walks Teb, Chris Crichel, Mark Keel, and a couple other friends. And as soon as they get in the room, it's like the presence of God. And um, we're all quiet. It, um, some, sometimes I think maybe it was just awkward or whatever, but it was like God had an appointment. Mm-hmm. So Chris comes to me and he says, Okay, Danny, we've heard you know you like to sing for your church, whatever. Listen, we don't want you to just sing anything, which we want you to do. <laughs> if you feel like God is telling you to sing a song, sing it. But if you don't feel like God's telling you, don't, don't do anything. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that before. Um, and maybe a minute or so goes by, and I hear this whisper. And it's opened the eyes of my heart. <laughs> and um, I don't even think anything of it. I pick up the guitar, and I start saying, open the eyes of my heart. My best friend from high school, he just starts bawling his eyes out. You know, He was going through things in his life, and... 
you know, he, he's, he, he starts lifting his hands and they said, they go pray for him. And my sister, who's behind me, gets the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Nobody's praying for her, nothing. <laughs> she just gets the Holy Ghost, you know. And, and uh, you know, our family wasn't very close-knit and uh, we have a lot of relational issues. And my sister was a very tough, tough, tough woman. Um, and so for her to get the Holy Ghost was impacting to me. Uh, because uh, I just never seen her in that state before, and, and uh, you know things kind of calmed down, and we're kind of looking around, and Chris is looking at her. Well, what happened to you? You know, and, and she said, "I saw smoke come out of my mouth." You know, and and he pulls to Isaiah, you know, and quotes that scripture, coal touching his lips, and you, you really felt like God did something incredible. Right, and so, uh, before they leave, Mark says, "Hey, I'm getting married next month." You know, you guys are all invited to my wedding. And uh, my, my mom says, well, I was planning to take you on a trip after you graduate high school. If you want to go down there, we could do it. And so I said, let's do it. Let's go find out what's, what these people are about, you know. And uh, so fast forward again, and uh, we're in Texas for the first time. And uh, I was there for a whole month. I got to go to Mark's wedding. Um, I got to go to some of the first Spring of Hope meetings that, you know, that was happening that year. Yeah. That's the first time I met you. Um, this is 07? This is 2007. This wow. would be May and June of 2007. There were things that happened on that trip. I can remember uh, being in the back of Brother Mark Dickey's blue little Chevy S10 in the bed of his truck with my, with my high school buddy. And feeling this feeling, we're driving down Halbert Lane, we're going to go to Tyndall's for dinner. And feeling this feeling like God telling me, this is the closest place to heaven on earth. And um, I remember coming away from that trip and seeing people speak in tongues that were American was foreign to me. (laughs) That was, for me, that was like an African thing, you know, (laughs) because we're from Ethiopia and a lot of Ethiopians do it. So I, I, I came from a background where it was more like, you know, I got saved. I remember the night, you know, had a conversation with my mom. And I said, Jesus, you're my Lord. And I think it was like June 22nd, 2005 or about. So I've been saved ever since then. And <laughs> we had this kind of belief. You know, it was like I didn't have to necessarily find out anything more about God. I mean, we had an understanding. You know what I mean? And, and uh, prior to that, them coming to Denver, I was actually, you know, doing things in a church. And um, there was one night uh, we got high before, you know, Saturday night before Sunday and woke up Sunday morning. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we're supposed to go to church. We're supposed to do the worship. So we rush down there and I get a couple guys and we, we do it. And then at the end, I said, I felt so guilty. I knew I was still saved. I just didn't feel like it was right what I was doing. Does that make sense? You, you, you get it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> don't, don't press me on whether it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I really was at a point where I think I was ready to give up on God because um, there just wasn't enough to it. There wasn't enough to, to really solve the real practical problems, mm, the real God. personal things that were going on in my life and people's mm-hmm. lives around me. It's like we didn't have any answers for anything. Um, we had a lot of access to a lot of terrible things, but we didn't have a lot of access to God's love, God's wisdom, you know. Uh, so coming to Texas impacted me because it, it was such a culture shock to see so many people that um, 
were really truly living for him. Mm. And I mean, to the word, they had a definition for why. Why we do this for God. And it, 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 was, it, was, it was different. It was strange. I actually didn't like it, you know, when I first came around. Um, but from the day I left, there wasn't a single day that I didn't think about Homestead Heritage. Mm. Um, it kind of haunted me how so many people could just be so loving and want nothing in return. I mean, it's a phenomenon. Never in any place that we were in, in any other church group, I mean, people that did not know me, if they, you know, you get the feeling like, if you just knew me, you wouldn't be so nice. <laughs> but since you don't know me, you must be naive, you know, all the while I'm the one who's, you know. Uh, and so fast forward, I, 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 I came back from that trip. And I remember it was, a, it was a Sunday morning, I came off the Greyhound, and a tornado had just hit Denver, and so there were light poles on the floor. It just felt so different. And um, I went back to the apartment. I pulled out my guitar, and I tried to sing one song. I tried to see if I was going to feel God's presence the way I felt, but all by myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel anything. And um, I put my guitar down, and I made a decision right then. I'm just going to do what I know how to do best. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sin. I'm going to just live for myself. I'm, I'm not going to try this kind of thing. It's not for me. It's for people like Homestead, you know. And so I, I shaved my head, and um, I went to back to one of those old churches. And uh, this particular Sunday service, you know, was dedicated to <clears throat> the, the pastor and his wife. They were redoing their vows. It had nothing to do with God. They didn't quote a single scripture. I leaned over to my friend that was in there. I said, we're all going to hell. <laughs> and I, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was really, I started this kind of this path of just depression, and I, I didn't want to reach out for help. I didn't want to reach out to Teb. Um, I was just stubbornly refusing to acknowledge that I didn't have any answers. And so, uh, for a few years, I just went deeper and deeper into uh, the drug scene. I tried to go to college, and I tried to uh, do things that, you know, and a lot of people's way of looking at just how life should go, I tried to be successful. But because I, I, I couldn't find meaning mm. in the things I was doing, I just, I wanted to forget. I wanted to forget why, why I was living my life. I had so many unanswered questions. You know, how did I get here? What's, what's going on? Well, what am I supposed to do? Why am I supposed to do it? You know, just because someone says, you know. And um, I, uh, I finally got to this point. I, I uh, went to college in Utah. I finally came back to Denver. I got real deep in the drug scene, partying, um, and uh, all while working for the Postal Service. And um, I, uh, I eventually quit my job, and I started to sit in a dark room for hours high and uh, I really got into like a really just demonic depression and I was so stubborn I was so proud I didn't even want to think the thought God help me mm -hmm. I mean I just I knew I, I was running from God I knew I, I, I was unwilling to seek him for help but deep down deep down I mean deep down mm -hmm. 
there was something that if I expressed it in words, it would be like, God, if there's a way out, I need a way out, you know. And um, around this time, this was now May, June, July, uh, 2009, and my mom started showing up uh, this place I was staying. She would come at odd hours, and oftentimes she wouldn't even she wouldn't get me. Um, and I had one of my buddies tell me, he said, hey, you know, your mom can't come by this house. You know, there's police watching the house. They're going to try to use her for a lead, you know, all this stuff. And they said, you know, make sure she goes away. And so I, I called her. I told her off. And I, my mom and our, my relationship just really got uh, some friction after I left Homestead. And I just told her, you know, just forget you ever had a son. You know, forget there was ever a Danny in your life. And, and I wouldn't speak to her. And so she, she located me. She started coming around. And I told her off. And then my, uh, one of my other brothers called me and said, listen, she needs help. Um, my sister was in Ethiopia. She's coming back. She's bringing a kid that she left there as a baby, trying to bring her back to the U.S. And so in that process, she left her kids here with my mom in Colorado. She lived in Ohio. And so I said, oh, what do I do? I had quit my job. I didn't have any money. I wanted some drugs. So I said, okay, I got, it. I got an idea. So I called my mom over, sit down with her in the living room. I said, listen, this is it. This is the deal. I hate your guts. I hate you. Um, so if I'm going to help you, you're going to have to give me some money for some drugs. Uh, I, think, I think if you could give me enough money for about a quarter pound of marijuana, that would do it. She said, okay, I'll do it. You can consider it an early birthday present. <laughs> or a late birthday birthday. I said, okay, great. So we make our exchange. I go, I make another exchange. And uh, about next week, we're on the trip. I'm in the car. We've got me, my mom, and uh, an eight-year-old, twin five-year-olds, and a two-year-old baby. And uh, we're at whatever it is, 18 hours, 19, 20 hours, I can't remember, from Denver to Columbus, Ohio. We're on the road. And, you know, the kids, they kind of got into my heart a little bit. Um, I hadn't seen them. I hadn't spent a whole lot of time with children. So, and they're, you know, they're my kin. So it's like, you know, they, they, they reminded me of me very easily. And uh, <laughs> so we finally get to, to Columbus and my, my sister, she gets her hold of her kids. And I realize she doesn't have a penny, I mean, to her name. And she's going to take the kids and uh, they're going to go to a homeless shelter. And like in a, in a moment, I'm staring at them and I could feel my my upbringing, the way things were, all these unanswered questions, it just hit me hard. And I could feel for these kids. I was like, what are these kids going to do? You know, and, and they're going from place to place, and they can't keep any friends, they can't keep any relationships, they need a better life. And so I, I try to tell my sister, you know, you got to do something better than this. And um, it didn't take long. She's just as stubborn as I am. So <laughs> I gave up on that effort, and I got stressed out. I went, I got high. And um, uh, it was the next day, and it was time to drive back with my mom. So I'm in the car with my mom, and we were doing the trip in two days, and I think the first day we were doing like 13 hours or something. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm high, but I'm sitting there thinking about my life and all these unanswered questions. And I, I say to her, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell me your whole life story, beginning to end. Don't leave out any details. 
And uh, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to try to figure out how did I get here? Because uh, I didn't know anything. And she says, okay. And um, she starts to share. And I didn't have a clue anything about my mom. I didn't have a clue about my parents, the history behind any of it. And so we're, she's talking for about three hours. And she talks about how she was raised, you know, partly in a jungle, partly in a more of a civil, uh, closer to a city. Um, the struggles that she had growing up, she probably had like a third grade education. Um, and uh, she was living and, and, and uh, first had a first marriage, had a first baby at 14. Uh, that husband went to war, never came back to her, left her where she was. And then second marriage with my dad, she was about 15 or 16 and had her last kid, me, at 26. Um, and uh, she, she explained how, you know, there was a civil war in Ethiopia, uh, and it started in 75, and they had fled Ethiopia in 81. And I'm just astounded. I'm hearing the story, and she starts to talk about how her dad was being hunted. They were going to try to kill him, and he shows up drunk one day, and he's got a machete in his hand, and he's telling her, we got to go now, or they're going to kill you, and they're going to kill me. And she's got my brother, Teb, who's just months old, and then my other brother, uh, Miskana, he's two years old. And they decide that they're not going to take him because he's going to be too loud, and they might get him killed, you know. And, and she, in this moment, she lets out this anguish as she's reliving all of this. And she starts to cry and she says, you know, Danny, I've had to make decisions in my life that I regret. And I felt so small. You know, I just felt like I, I had no idea they had to go through all this. And if they didn't do it, I wouldn't even exist. And I, I was just so stunned. I mean... It's my mom, you know, it's my mom. And I, 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 I thought to myself, how can I hate this woman? You know, she had so little, you know, and, and she's had to do so much. You know, and I, I thought, you know, I don't have a right. I can't do it. She, they both, my parents, they tried the best they could to the best of their knowledge. And they had very little of it. And, and so we, we stopped that night and I, I got to the hotel and I just went out on my own and I did, I smoked again and, and I kept thinking, I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do because I, I felt like my life was turning upside down. So the next day we get back on the road and I said, you know what, I just want to share with you why I, uh. I, I feel so strongly towards you. I want to share with you why I hate you, you know, and just give you my perspective on it. And uh, she said, okay. And um, I just gave her my petty, <laughs> uh, self-centered perspective. And I looked back on it and I said, you know, I could have been easier on my mom, but I wasn't in, the, I wasn't in a good place. And so I gave it to her. And she cried. And she, she said, I'm sorry, you know, and... And uh, I can remember we're, we're coming in on I-70 into eastern Colorado. 
and there's like lots of almost flat land, it's just kind of real shallow hills, and we're about to start to see Denver. And I said, you know what? Let's try again. Let's let's try to have a relationship. You know, I I I feel I feel bad because I really just didn't know who you were. You know, and but I think we can try again. What do you say? She said, that'd be great. You know, and, and so I get back, and. I don't even think about it, but I'm no longer sitting in a dark room for hours. <laughs> and it's like this stronghold, uh, these lies of the devil. They hold us in this place. And um, uh, I'm still doing drugs. I still have this terrible circle of friends. And one of them says to me one day, what's going on with you? And I'm like, what? Why are you so happy? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, they start describing how I was. I mean, you were upset all the time. I mean, you just looked sad, depressed. I look at you now, you're smiling without anything going on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I think it's because I made up with my mom, you know. And uh, so my mom calls me. She says, I want to make you a really nice, you know, breakfast the way she did when I was growing up. I said, that sounds great, you know. So, uh, I go and I spend the night at a friend's house that was close to her place. Got up the next morning, got high again, went to walk to her house. And I get there and it's wonderful. You know, I didn't eat much uh, in, that, in, that, in those times, believe it or not. It's just wonderful. And I, what I didn't know is that one of my brothers, I had a, I had a pretty cantankerous brother <laughs> that um, we still, to this day, we don't really get along much. Uh, that was living with her at the time. And she forgets to tell me that she lives with him. And we <laughs> finished breakfast and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, Emmanuel's here. And uh, he's going to be coming home from work or from school soon, you know. Uh, but he's got a little bit of time then he has to go to work. So it shouldn't be that bad. And I'm like, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> and sure enough, about a few minutes after she says that, he shows up and, and uh at first, it's cool, you know, and um, we start going back and forth. He was doing some things with music, and so we had some common ground, and I, and I tell them. So I, I kind of got to this place in my heart where I said, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me was making up with my mom. I need to do that with my dad. So I had this plan. I'm going to do it. And so I share that with him. Big mistake. He hated my dad. He hated my dad. And he got, he got upset. And so it got to the point where we were arguing a little bit, and uh, I kind of went out of his room, and I went into the living room. They didn't have any furniture. I just sat on the floor, and and he was on his way out uh, to work, and he he looked at me, and he said, "Why do you care so much about this?" You know, and uh, I said, "Well, this is my life. This is who I am." You know, <laughs> he's like, "Whatever," and he slams the door. He gets out. And I started to think. I mean, I could hear my own words echoing off the wall. And I could hear, this is who I am. And that word, I am, it came to me. And I thought, isn't that something that has to do with, with, with God? You know, and, and all of a sudden, I started thinking about homestead. I started thinking about my, my whole life in the past few years and how things unfolded I just started to weep um, by myself on the floor I just started to weep and my mom comes in from the kitchen she sees me weeping she doesn't know what's going on and she goes and grabs 
what used to be my Bible and turns to this page, the little highlighted section, and hands it to me. And it says something like, repent and be baptized or something like this. And I'm like, whoa, and I throw the Bible across the room and say, I don't want it. I don't want, I don't want that, you know, and, and I continued to just weep. And it, it just occurs to me how it's, I look back and I say, God spoke to me. But I felt like I was realizing something. And it was that all of these horrible, terrible things in my life amounted to me and my efforts. But anything that was good, any moment, anything I've ever felt that was good, it always came from God. And it was like, for me, just the most logical proposition. <laughs> if you live for God, it's going to be good. <laughs> and the problem is me, you know, and I, I, I felt like I just, I need, to, I need to surrender to him. And so I, I kind of wiped my tears. I got down on my knees on this carpet floor and I stretched my hands up to God. And I just started saying everything I thought he wanted to hear from me. I started confessing sins. I started just committing my life to him. I went on, I don't know, 10 minutes. And at the end of it, I said, from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. And if I change my mind, I want you to take me out. I don't want another option. This is it. you know. And I got up from there, and the whole world changed. I mean, all of a sudden, it was like, I was looking at myself, I had a backpack, I had some weed that I was selling, and I was like, I can't touch that thing. I was looking at my clothes, and I was like, I don't think God wants me to wear these clothes. You know, I had this, I used to wear this shirt of Oscar the Grouch, <laughs> it just really personified, you know. <laughs> uh, and I just felt like, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I had dreadlocks to my shoulders, and... Um, uh, the next day, we went to this barber shop. Saw this guy look like my dad, and he he said, "What do you want me to do, son?" I said, "It's all coming off." You know, and I felt the presence of God all over me, and uh, I, I started attending these Pentecostal churches, these Ethiopian Pentecostal churches. I just felt like, you know what? I I don't have the Holy Ghost, but I just got to go somewhere where there's where there's God's Spirit. Amen. You know, and I didn't understand a word a lot of times, but I just felt like. God was there. And, uh, and so I would go in the morning to this service, and then mid-morning I'd go to that service, and then in the afternoon I'd go to that service. I, would, I, I locked myself in the bathroom. I sat in the tub, not taking a bath. I just sat in a dry tub, fully clothed with this NIV Bible, and I read it from front to back. And I, I, I got rid of my phone. You know, all the people, they're always calling, hey, you got anything, you got anything? And I got rid of my phone. I just disappeared. I made myself invisible as much as I could. I, I wouldn't go to a computer. I wouldn't go to any kind of device. I, I just knew it was like, if I don't really isolate myself, I'm going to end up right back in it. I just knew it. And so for three months, it was like I fasted from the world with it all around me. And um, I wanted to come back. And uh, I wanted to come back to Homestead is what I'm saying. <laughs> I felt like... God wanted me to do it. God wanted me to be here. There were so many things I didn't understand. But I knew this was that misstep. If I would have just stayed here, if I would have just humbled myself, God would have had something for me. 
you know, and, and I just didn't trust him. I didn't trust my family. Um, and so I called Tab. And, and at first, it, it wasn't so much that there was some big open door. It didn't feel like it. When I came the first time, it was like, oh, yeah, everybody wants you, you know. And, and then after that, it was like, really what I feel like it was is whenever I had a lack of faith, I felt it. But I could perceive that as other people not wanting me to, you know, be a part of the body or something, you know. But it was really me. It was really what was inside my heart because I just thought Ted was out to get me. You know what I mean? <laughs> or I thought so-and-so just doesn't understand me, you know, or whatever. And uh, there were a lot of aspects of, uh, of, of living for God that were cultural struggle. Um, you know, I, I came from pre predominantly, I would say, just I just call it black culture. And you know, there's things about the culture where you're not going to lift a finger for someone else, you know. And so you, you have that be a part of you. And then you come into a culture where everyone's laying down the life, <laughs> not just a finger. They're just laying it all down, you know. <laughs> and it's quite a swing east to west, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, things where you just worked. And now it's like it's fulfilling. Yeah. But, but um, there were aspects of the culture that just really, oh. Why do we have to do this? I needed an answer. You know what I mean? Why? 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 And now I look back and it's like, I was just childish and pitching a fit every second I could. <laughs> um, but it wasn't long. And, you know, I made that step. It was August 27, 2009. I was here for the fair that November. I got the Holy Ghost that coming May. I got baptized a year and a half later in April. You know, I got married two and a half years after that in August. You know, and it was just God just, you know, through fathering relationships, he gave me steps of obedience. And I didn't, I didn't need anything else. You know, and, and I looked at my testimony. It hit me last night. At first in the natural, then in the spiritual. It's like that, that scripture in, in Malachi where it says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the yes. sons to the fathers. You know, I needed my heart <laughs> to be turned into a son. You know, and, and I can say with confidence, I, I know I've got a heart of a son because I have this awe for my fathers. Amen. You know what I mean? I've got this, 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 this love, this respect for my fathers. You know what I mean? And, and how essential that was for me to go down in this journey. And now, I mean, it's too, it's too late. It's an avalanche now. <laughs> There's too much behind it. Uh, there's no turning back, you know? And um, it's, it's just been an incredible journey. Um, but God, he gave me so much more meaning. You know, he gave me everything that I was lacking. He gave me a family. He gave me, gave me now I have a wife, I have kids, you know. <laughs> I can, they can have so much more, you know, than I, than I had. I don't know. This is, it's hard to just say it like this, but I love you guys. When I look at my life, how it was before, riddled with strife to the bitter core. How did I get here? How did things change? I remember the night, the night you came. I was going down, but wasn't everyone. I had to hold the beats together. 
till the song was done Caught between options Hope was no choice Then above the echoes Came one clear voice I had to come back And say thank you I had to do more Than just go on my way With the rest of my life I'll praise you And the world will hear me say You are my king You are my God You're my master You are my friend Though the mountains tremble And the earth gives way I will love you By each word you speak, I am more free. The word that I heard is the life I now live, and the light that I saw, it's the fire within. Oh, I had to come back and say thank you. I had to do more than just go on my way with the rest of my life I'll praise you and the world will hear me say you are my king you are my God you're my master you are my friend though the mountains tremble and the earth gives way I will love you too say thank you I had to do more than just go on my way and with the rest of my life I'll praise you and the world will hear me say you are my king you are my 